Is that awesome or what? And let's give God praise for that for a second. Come on, Lord. Thank you so much for your sacrifice. Thank you for the price that you paid, Lord, so that we can be who we are today and do what we do, God. We give you praise for that. Thank you so much. Welcome to Life Point Church. Glad you guys are here today. Well, we, that's what I'm talking about. You guys are awake and alive and ready for this. Y'all have had some coffee, huh? <laughs> coffee is my friend. So glad you guys are here, though. My name is Josh. If you don't know me, I'm the associate pastor here at LifePoint. And I get to hang out with you this morning. And we are going to have some fun today. I uh, hope you brought your Bibles because we're going to go through a serious romp through some Scripture. Your Bibles are probably going to be smoking. You might want to take a second to lick your fingers and get some Band-Aids, protect for some paper cuts if you still got a Bible. If you got your tablet or your phone, you can go ahead and get those things ready. All the message notes today are going to be on a little app called YouVersion, the Bible app. So if you have that, you can open that up and follow along with me today because we are going to go through a ton of stuff Um, A lot of stuff to cover this morning, and I don't want you to get lost, but what I'm going to be sharing with you today is just so stinking powerful, guys. It it, it has absolutely floored me and really changed my whole perspective and my whole relationship with God when I studied this and I understood this for the first time in my life. And I, I was telling people earlier when we were talking about the message today, I literally felt like I got saved all over again when I finally understood everything that God had done for me. When I finally realized not just that every promise that is in that Bible is true, but that it's for me. And not, not, not just that, but how I can personally know that every promise in that Bible is for me. And how God, how serious he is about those promises that he made. And what links he went through to make that a reality in my life. Oh my gosh, guys, it, it blew me away when finally, like you go through these moments in your relationship with God where you, you connect one more dot in the journey that he's taking you on in your walk with him. And it's just like, golly, I ne- I'd never realized that before. And it just hits you, not like a ton of bricks, but just like this wave of excitement and life and energy. You know, you guys have experienced that? Oh, my gosh. It was one of those things with me. And um, I wanted to walk you guys through this process that I went through today and uh, show you what God showed me. And, and I thought... It was, it was kind of awesome, too, how it, it came. It, this is coming kind of at the, the tail end of this all-in series that we had to kick off the year here at LifePoint and how we're believing that this is just going to be a new season of ministry here at the church. How God is opening doors for us and how the things that were spoken over us as a church, we are, we are stepping out into a, a, new, a new season, really, to, to, to take hold of those promises and see those things come to fruition and, and see what God can do through us as we step out, just individually in our own lives, but corporately as a church, too. Man, God's doing some stuff. How many of you would say that God has been moving in just an awesome way in your life since the beginning of the year this year? Yeah, a lot of us. Man, God has just been moving. And it's crazy. When we step out and we put ourselves in a position to be used by him, he's just right there waiting for us, ready to take us on that next little step. It's just awesome. Um, There's a guy in the Bible named Abraham. 
Abraham wasn't always his name. Who knows what he was called before Abraham? It's called Abram, yeah. So God changed his name somewhere along the way and gave him a cool name, Abraham, but he wasn't always called that. Um, Abram, or Abraham, however you want to call him, um, early on, Abram, was just a guy who stepped out and did some, I mean, just, he had crazy, crazy faith. Crazy faith. God just appears to him out of nowhere and gives him this list of things. We don't really know why God chose Abraham, you know, uh, over anybody else on the planet. He, did, he said, I'm going to do these things through you. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be the father of many nations. Not only that, but, but the world itself is going to be blessed through what comes along through the generations of your lineage. I mean, he gives him these awesome, awesome promises. And then God asks him to do something that is really crazy. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, if you guys want to follow along in your phone or your books, Genesis 12, 1, um, God's talking to Abraham. And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. That's a good promise. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Lot turned out to not be the coolest guy to hang out with. Abram, check this out. He was 75 years old when he set out on his journey. The dude was 75 years old. Can you imagine being 75, established in your life, and he was still hanging out with his dad at the time, um, which I guess he needed to get out of dad's basement, and God said it was time to move out. I don't know. But 75, 75 years old, and God said, here's the deal. I'm going to do all this awesome stuff for you, but you've got to go into the land, and I'll show, it, I'll show you where you're going later on. But I need you to get moving, and I'll tell you later. Can you imagine this conversation between Abram and his wife? She wasn't there when God told him all this. Now, I've come in, and I've, I've, just, I've dropped some pretty crazy ideas on Kelly. <laughs> and, like, husbands, we know the look, you know. Like, she's like, we can do this, and we can do this. And your wife is like, mm-hmm, yeah, we could. Or the same way, women come in, honey, I want to do this, I want to do this. And the guys are like, mm-hmm, or we could eat, or, you know, <laughs> this is... These little things, um, like these awkward little conversations we have. And Abram comes in, he says, listen, uh, talked to this dude today. His name was God, because um, God wasn't really well known back then. You know, you got to remember the time that this is happening. Uh, and he said, um, it, uh, it's time for us to go. Where are we going? I don't know. He said he'd show us after we leave, so we got to pack up everything and head out. But it's cool because he said he was going to bless me and make me great, and he's going to do all this awesome stuff, and I'm going to be the father of many nations, and I know I'm 75, and we're getting on up in years, but he said all that was going to happen. Uh, we got to pack up, and we got to go now. That had to be a great conversation with the wife. You know, just think about it. Well, she agreed. They hit the road, you know. It is awkward, though. You know, when, when God speaks to you, and, and he drops this vision in your heart for what he wants to do in your life. And he reveals his promise to you. And he tells you what he's going to do, what he wants to do through you. And you get that vision 
for your own personal ministry, your own personal calling, your own personal mission in life. And it sounds so awesome inside when God gives it to you. You ever notice how sometimes it's kind of awkward to communicate that to other people because sometimes people just aren't as excited about what God wants to do in your life as you are excited about what God wants to do in your life? Yeah? You got to be careful who you show your dreams to. You know, you can't just trust your dream and your calling with anybody on the street. Man, because people will speak into your life, and if you're not careful, that negativity will kill the passion and the drive inside of you that God just put in you. You got to be careful who you share that dream with. Because sometimes the stuff God calls us to sounds absolutely crazy when it comes out of this thing right here. Yeah, he's going to do all this stuff in my life, but we got to pack up and we got to go. Where are we going? I don't know, he said. He'd show us the land when we, when we get out there. So <laughs> he, he, he goes on this journey. Several years later, he's traveled through a whole lot of desert. He's been through a whole lot of life. And he lands in Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, verse 7. Abraham, this crazy guy who stepped out in faith, now he's got a few questions that he's asking. God's talking to him, and he's kind of, God is in this process of encouraging Abram, saying, listen, don't forget the promises that I've given to you. Don't forget what I said I would do in your life. In verse 7, he, says, he also said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, this is just powerful to me. Abram asked this question. He goes, look, God, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? How can I know that I'll gain possession of it? That's a legit question. Abraham was in a, a, a point in his life where he said, look, I've stepped out. I'm in this place that you told me to go to. How can I possibly know? Show me how I can know that you are going to keep this promise and I'm not just out here walking around in the desert for no reason. That's kind of a legit question, though, because, I mean... There have been times in my life where I've stepped out and you guys have probably stepped out into something that you felt like God wanted you to do. But when you looked around after going through this journey for a little while, what you see around you doesn't line up with what God said he was going to do in your life. Anybody ever been there? Well, God, you said that you were going to do this and it's been six months, it's been a year and I know that you spoke to me why am I not seeing something happen yet? God, how can I know for sure that you're going to keep that promise that you made to me? And I was praying for this message um, this morning, and I really felt like there were a lot of us in here who were going through this kind of season in your life. And especially since the first of the year, where as a church, we just went absolutely crazy. And, and we sought after God like some of us haven't sought after God in a long time. And a lot of us believed that God spoke things to us, specifically to us, that he was going to do in the near future in our lives. We believed, and and, and we, we stepped out and we went all in. And we believed God to do powerful things in our family. And we believed God to do powerful things in our marriages. And we believed God to do powerful things personally in our finances. And we stepped up and we said, you know what, God? I'm going all in with this thing. I'm going to draw closer to you. I'm going to have a relationship with you like I've never had before. I'm going to give sacrificially like I never had before so that the vision that you've given us can go forward so that we can reach people. We stepped out into those things. 
and stepped out into those promises and did what we felt like God wanted us to do. But now a little bit of time has passed. And now life is kind of settling in for some of us. And we sat down with that family for the first time and opened up that Bible and we said, you know what, I've never done this before, but I'm going to try to be the high priest of my home. This is awkward. I don't know how to do it. But we're just going to read a little bit of the Bible. And your family just laughed at you. And it was a tough sell. And you might have had this grand vision of the whole family just saying, yes, Father, yes. Read the Holy Word to us. Read the Holy Word to us, Father. Speak the words of life to us that we may be obedient children and do what the Lord hath commanded. And then we shall go fix thee supper, maketh our beds, and rub thy feet, for we know you have worked hard, Father. You know, that, what, what happened was we tried that and they looked at us and they were like, what? Who are you? What is that? And what are you trying to do to us right now? Because we ain't never seen this happen in the house before. And you got a little bit of pushback, you know? Try to work on that marriage and, and try to get it to become the true picture of what a marriage is supposed to be like that we see in Scripture. And you thought, you know what? I'm just not going to be selfish anymore. I'm going to serve my husband. And God's going to change his heart. And that guy is still the same selfish, stinking son of a gun that he's always been. And your marriage is still a tough sell right now. But you know God spoke that to you. And you know God said that you could have it. And you're doing the necessary steps. You ever been in those places where you're doing what you know what you're supposed to do? But God's promise just hasn't landed yet. You're somewhere in between where you were and where God's taking you. And you're in this kind of this dead space. That time of testing, that time of waiting. Maybe we ask some questions sometimes. God, how, how can I know? I think that's a legitimate question, you know. But when you, when you look at Abram... Later on in Scripture, when Paul's talking about him, Paul creates a completely different picture about Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, verse 9, is, is a powerful Scripture. This is a huge statement. Paul's writing, he goes, So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. Paul actually calls Abraham the man of faith. Like, if you opened up the dictionary and looked up the definition of faith, you would see Paul's picture right there. Hey, what's up? Peace. Right there. The you would see, or Abraham's picture right there, the man of faith, the man of faith, unbelievable. In Romans, it paints a completely different picture of, of Abraham, too. Paul's writing in this, he goes, yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Fully persuaded. The man of faith who was fully persuaded. Now, I got a question. Which Abraham are we talking about? Which one are we talking about in Scripture? Are we talking about the guy who was, are we talking about the guy who, who had questions, who said, God, I'm out here. What's going on? How, how am I, you got to give me some kind of reassurance to know that you're going to keep your promise to me. Or are we talking about the guy that was just killing it? And his walk with God and had awesome faith. Well, it's not a trick question. We're talking about the same man. Talking about the same guy. I think what we see here is a beautiful example of someone on this journey of a relationship with God. In this walk with faith. Who is about to discover God in a way that he had never seen him before. 
And I believe what God is doing in this block of Scripture in Abraham's life is reassuring him and revealing himself to, to, to Abraham in a way that he had never seen him before. A lot of us have messed up concepts when we think about faith. When we think about faith being like this, 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 this event that we arrive to. Like, you know, boom, suddenly I've got faith. Faith doesn't really work like that. Faith, faith is, is not, um, it's not a one-time experience. Faith is something that grows as we become closer to God and better see who He is. When you think about your walk with God, I guarantee you that if you've been consistent in your, in your growth with Him, that you have an understanding of Him and a trust in Him today that you didn't have when you first began your spiritual journey. Now, does that mean that you had less faith back then than you do now? Does that mean that you didn't have faith in God in the beginning, but somehow you've arrived at faith in God today? No, that just means through the course of your relationship with God, you got closer to Him, and He revealed Himself to you in a new way. You saw Him in a way that you hadn't seen before, and you learned how to trust Him on a whole new level, step by step along the journey. Make sense? That's how he grows us. And that's what's happening in Abram's life. So which Abraham was it? The same guy who was growing in a journey of faith. So what happened, I wonder? What did God do next? What did God do in Abram's life that took him from being the person who said, God, how can I know? To being that person in Galatians and in Romans who said, who's talked about as a man of faith and and who, who was fully persuaded that God would keep his promise. You guys want to know what happened? No? No? Y'all don't want to know. We can pack up and go. Do y'all want to know what happened? Yeah. All right, this is just powerful. Absolutely powerful. Genesis 15, verse 9. This will rock your world. So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. There you go. <laughs> That's it. That's what God did. What? Let's go over that again. Abraham's being real vulnerable. God, how can I know that you're going to keep your promise to me? God, bring me a heifer. That's as good as it gets right there. That's all you need to know right there. Bring me a heifer. Bring me a heifer. Well, maybe there's something a little bit more going on here in this passage of Scripture than you can grasp at a first glance. Sometimes it pays off to dig a little bit into Scripture because there's a whole lot of stuff going on that we can't necessarily relate to in America, 2017, in the digital age, if we don't take the time and the effort to understand what was going on in that specific time and in that culture. If you want to study the Bible and understand it, you need to know what the original writer is saying to the original reader and what's happening culturally and regionally in that area so that you can better get a picture of what God is doing in the life of an individual and what kind of picture God is trying to paint in Scripture through the stories that are there. Powerful stuff happening here. 
Um, what's crazy is that Abraham or Abram knew exactly what to do. When God said, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, Abram automatically went to work. But he started, he went and got the animals, and he started cutting stuff up. He didn't just go get them. He knew what the next step was. So something's going on here that's understood in Scripture. Something's happening here that Abram understands. Well, God says, if God said to me, if I said to God, I was like, God, how, how can I know what you're doing in my life? And God said, go get me a heifer. I'm going to go, wow, I shouldn't ate that cheeseburger last night because this is really jacking up my prayer time this morning. I wouldn't get it. But Abraham knows exactly what God is doing and where he's going with this. So you've got to understand what's happening in the culture of the day. Back when Abraham was alive, okay, listen, that basically what you had was a bunch of roaming tribes all over the land, okay? Didn't have huge systems of government. You had roaming tribes. You didn't have courts, okay? You didn't really have law officers. Well, if you, if you don't have courts, then you can't have contracts, right? You can't have professional agreements between people or parties because there's nothing in the land to uphold it. There's, there's no high power, no system to uphold any kind of contract or agreement. So what these people would do is they would operate under an agreement system called covenant. And when you look at the word covenant, it's absolutely amazing because it is, the scripture is just littered with the word covenant and covenant language and, and covenant imagery all through scripture. The word covenant is actually used in the Bible over 300 times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So it is a huge foundational piece in Scripture. And I go so far to say is that if you don't understand how covenant works, that you really can't have a solid grasp of Scripture because it's one of the foundational pieces of Scripture. It's one of, one of the foundational use, uh, of, of uses of imagery that God uses in, in, in describing His relationship between Him and us. So... What's crazy is the word covenant um, also has a little bit of, a little more depth to it. The word testament that we have in the Old Testament and New Testament, we used to describe the old stories of the Bible and what Jesus has done. That actually comes from the word covenant. So you could literally break down the Bible into two, two pieces and say it's the old covenant and then you have the new covenant in God. One of the definitions of the word covenant, too, is also um, it is more of an action definition. It means to cut until blood flows. So if you wanted to be just a real literal person and translate the Bible, you could split it up into the old cuts until blood flows and the new cut until blood flows. Is it okay if we teach a little bit this morning? Am I smoking your brains too much? We're good. Are y'all with me so far? All right, I'm telling you guys, this will be a powerful thing when you grab it and you see what God wants to do in your lives. The old and the new. So God says, bring me a heifer. Abraham goes to work because he understands that God is setting up a covenant ceremony and that God is fixing to enter into a covenant with him, which was the most powerful form of agreement that was available in that world today. It's crazy. Um, and how it would work is you, you usually have two groups of people, okay, or, or two tribes that would come together. 
Um, and I need a couple of guys to help me. So Eric, can you help me? And Scott, you want to help me out for a little bit? Okay. So Eric and Scott, you guys come on up here. Yeah, come on up to the stage here. Let's give it up for these guys. Golly, Scott, you're looking good this morning. Eric's got the thing going. You got Eric and you got Scott. Scott, you come stand over here. Eric, you're good where you are. So check this out. Scott is going to be part of the warrior tribe. Oh, yeah. Shing. You got a sword, baby. That thing is sharp. Don't kill me with it. All right? Got that? So here's a warrior tribe. So check out. The warrior tribe is they're powerful. They're awesome in battle. Undefeated. They will flat take you out. Okay? If it needs to be done, they can get it done. They are battle savvy. They raise their kids from birth to be warriors. Okay, the warrior tribe is just phenomenal in battle. And here's the problem. They really don't know how to, to farm. They don't know how to sustain themselves. They don't know how to cook. They don't know how to set up any kind of agricultural system in their tribe. All they know is war. So these guys will flat take you out, but they're starving to death. Okay? And then you'd have a tribe of people who are awesome farmers. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Eric, everybody's going to know that you had a hoe in church this morning. Everybody's going to know. All right? Everybody's going to know. <laughs> Tony's back there. <laughs> so Eric represents the farmer clan. These guys agriculturally have got it going on. Okay, they know how to grow it. They know how to take care of the soil. They know how to bake food. Man, if they were a restaurant, they would be the restaurant that had the line going out around the building down the street that people were willing to wait a couple of hours to eat at. You know, they had it going on. But here's the problem. They don't know how to fight. So everybody's robbing their cookie jar. And they got the same problem these guys have. Even though they have all the food, people are robbing them and raiding their land, and you're starving to death too. So what these two tribes do is they say, you know what? we got some jacked up stuff going on. Let's join forces, and let's make a covenant together. And this is what would happen. Farmers would bring the hoes. Warriors would bring the swords. They would show up. And I want to teach you something. Okay, y'all still with me? I want to teach you what would happen in this covenant ceremony. Okay? It's just powerful. First thing they would do is they would choose a rep. One person, usually, or they would, a small leadership group of the tribe, would come together, and they would represent everybody in their tribe. Everybody. Usually it was one representative. So these two reps would come up here, and they wouldn't just represent the tribe. They would represent every generation of that tribe, from the youngest to the oldest, and future generations, too. Generations that had not yet been born. So the representative carried a powerful responsibility in this covenant ceremony. So the first thing they do, they would choose a rep. Here, you know what the second thing they would do would be? The second thing that they would do would be that they would exchange their tools and they would exchange their weapons as a symbolic gesture. So the, the warriors would give his sword to the farmer. The farmer would give his hoe to <laughs> the warrior. I know you guys are my kind of people. You are laughing at this stuff. So <laughs> they would exchange weapons they would exchange tools why well my sword is now your sword 
My tools are now your tools. My ability to fight now belongs to you. My ability to feed now belongs to you. If anyone picks on you, they're picking on me. And not just me, but the entire tribe that I represent. If you go without food and you're hungry, I pledge to feed you. Not just you, but every generation of people represented in your tribe. My people will take care of your people. We're joining together in this agreement. Kind of cool, huh? The third thing they would do is this. Some of this stuff is just powerful. They would exchange robes. We're not going to do that this morning because we don't need to see naked stuff in the church. But they would exchange robes. Now, that might not sound cool to us today, but you've got to think about back in the day, a robe was a very specific identifier of a tribe or people. They couldn't just roll down to the mall and be cool like Pastor Brad and pull out his phone and buy stuff with it. They, they, had, they had to do it the old-fashioned way, and they had to make it out of sheep and camels and whatever else they could get a hold of or grow out there. You know? So the robes carried very specific identification marks and colors and different designs that identified the tribe. So when they would swap robes with each other, it was literally a swapping of identification. Now I identify with you, you identify with me. And if somebody sees me from a distance, they won't be able to tell the difference between you or me. I am now you, you are now me, because we are one in this covenant agreement. Make sense? So the fourth thing they would do is, and this is kind of where Abraham's story comes in, they would cut an animal, they would sacrifice it, they would cut it into two pieces, and then they would lay the half side by side, and they would stand in the middle. So you would have the animals that were sacrificed that were cut in half. Literally means that I share with you, you share with me. And then the, two, the animals on the outside, the people representing the tribes would stand in the middle. You guys go ahead and sit on these squares right here. They would stand in the middle. Now, if you had sacrificed animals on this side and you had sacrificed animals on this side, what would the representatives be standing in? They would be making an agreement in blood. And what they would be saying is this, symbolically. They would take this oath and they would say, May it be done to me as it was done to these animals if I fail to keep my covenant pledge to you. And may it be done to you as it's done to these animals if you fail to keep your covenant pledge to me. So they're literally saying, I vow, not just me, but the entire tribe that I represent, we vow that if we fail to keep our covenant with you, it means that we forfeit our lives. That's serious stuff. I don't know if I'd make that agreement with anybody I know. (laughs) I don't know that I would. Maybe my wife and my child, but that's a big covenant to make. So the fifth thing they would do in the ceremony is that they would cut their hands and then they would join them together. So they would take a knife and slice. They would take a knife and slice. Wow, I might need to take these toys. You know what? Let me take the, let me take the toys away from you. Eric's ready to cut stuff over here. <laughs> My people. I know. After they had cut their hands, blood starts to flow. They would join hands together. Literally a blood bond. My blood now flows in you. Your blood now flows in me. We are one in this covenant together. Powerful, huh? This is serious stuff. 
What they would do after that, after they had cut themselves and made this little oath, they would reach down, they'd pick up some dirt or pick up some ash, whatever was on the ground, and they would rub it into the wound that they had just created with the cut. Sounds fun, huh? And it would prevent the cut from healing quickly, and it would cause a, a scar to be created on their hand. Or sometimes they would cut their arms, and they would create scars on their arms. And this would be a covenant mark. A covenant mark as a reminder to them on their body of the covenant that they had made. And this is kind of cool is if you were out walking by yourself and a tribe of 50 people just happened up and you're in the middle of nowhere, you could show them your covenant mark and they would know what that was and they would know not to mess with you because they knew that they wouldn't just be messing with you. They'd be messing with every single person that that covenant mark represents and however many tribes were part of the covenant. So literally, 200 people could roll up on you, fixing to rob you. You could throw up a covenant mark, and they would probably stop and back off because they didn't want to enter into all-out war with all your people. It's a cool thing, huh? That's actually where waving came from. We say, hey, what's up? They would be like, hey, don't kill me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got covenant mark. Let's, let's be friends. So powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. After they'd gone through this part of the ceremony, they would have a covenant meal. And usually, for the covenant meal, it was real common for them to have bread and for them to have wine present. And, and they would exchange cups and exchange breads. When you think about a covenant meal, you have to think more in, in the lines of kind of like a marriage ceremony that would be taking place in, in this part of the covenant ceremony. Um, they would take the wine and exchange it, and they would drink the wine, and they would say, I'm drinking this wine, but I'm drinking you into myself. I'm eating this bread, but I'm eating you into myself. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And what they would do after they had done that is they would exchange names. So you would have the tribes represented, and you would have Eric, and you would have, tell everybody your name again? Scott. So Eric and Scott would, 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 would exchange names and combine them together. So you would have Skerrick and Eoch. I guess, is, is what you would end up with. And so they would take, and usually they would put down stones as a marker, and a lot of times they would plant a tree to symbolize the covenant so generations to come could see the tree and understand what had happened. So in the end, you would have two tribes. You would have the farmers, and you would have the warriors, and both of them would be well-protected, and both of them would be well-fed because of the covenant that they had made with one another. Make sense? Yeah? Give these guys a hand. Thanks for playing, guys. So God says, bring me a heifer. Abram goes to work because he understands exactly what God is doing. God is entering into a covenant relationship with him. He says, how can I know? And God immediately goes to the most powerful form of agreement that Abraham could possibly understand as a human. Now think about what Abraham is, is experiencing here. God, how can I know? And God says, I'm going to enter into a covenant relationship with you. With you. All-powerful, omnipotent, everlasting, undefeatable, all-providing God says, I'll show you how you can know. 
I'm going to enter into a covenant with you. And what's significant, I mean, think about this. God is literally saying to Abraham, listen, I would rather now cease to exist than fail to keep my promise to you. That's how you can know that I'll keep my word. This is amazing. So they go through this whole process, the ceremony. Um, Genesis 15, 12, we'll put that up for you. You can see what happens here. The sun was setting. Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. Um, flip down to the next verse we got there. Verse 17, yeah, put that up there. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, pay attention to this. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Now remember the ceremony we just described. Where was Abraham? What did the Bible just say? Where Abraham was while God conducts this covenant relationship. He put him to sleep. So Abraham wasn't participating in this covenant ritual that God said he would do to commit himself to Abraham. Then you have these two things pop up. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch. Getting kind of creepy, huh? Getting kind of creepy. You know what that represents? It represents the presence of God. We know that from other parts in Scripture. It's God's presence being represented in symbolic form. But check this out. It's not just one symbol. How many symbols are there? Two symbols. Abraham's asleep. God's presence shows up in the middle of these dead animals on the blood. God's presence in two personalities, two identifiable people to make the covenant. I believe that Abraham was asleep because God didn't want to set him up for failure. And I believe that God appeared in the form of two, pe- two people, the God's presence in two symbolic forms, because he took Abraham's place in this covenant ritual. I'm not going to set you up for failure, because if you fail to keep, if, if Abraham failed to keep his covenant, what would happen to him? He'd die, He'd forfeit his life. That's serious stuff. So God made a covenant with himself on Abraham's behalf in Abraham's place so that the covenant that was made wasn't dependent upon Abraham's ability to keep it. It was only dependent upon God's ability to keep the covenant with himself. Is that hitting home? It's only dependent upon God's ability to keep the covenant with himself. Abraham wakes up, covenant ceremony is done. And then things begin to change. You start to hear covenant language between God and Abraham and the people of Israel. He says, I'm your God, you're my people. But he said, listen, listen, those that you bless, I will bless. Those that curse you, I will curse. That begins to change. You see a covenant mark is made with Abraham. God tells him, hey, listen, um, go circumcise yourself. Let's make a mark. This covenant's the real deal. Covenant language begins to appear all through the Old Testament. But it wasn't dependent upon Abraham's ability to keep it. It all rested on God. He had the responsibility to keep it. Awesome stuff. Good stuff. Great history lesson. 
What the heck does that have to do with me today, Pastor Josh? <laughs> well, actually, a whole lot. Actually, a great big whole lot. Go ahead and put that scripture in Galatians up there. Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, clothe yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, slave or free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's covenant language right there. If you belong to Christ, then look at this. You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Remember how God promised Abraham that the nations of the world would be blessed by somebody through his lineage? Well, that person showed up, and his name was Jesus. His name was Jesus. He's pretty awesome. He's pretty awesome. And when Jesus showed up, listen, guys, here's the thing. Jesus did not just show up to be a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus showed up to do that, but he also showed up to invoke a new covenant with those who would believe in him. A new covenant. If you see in Luke, chapter 22, verse 20, Jesus, before he's going to be crucified at the Last Supper with his disciples, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Pretty powerful, huh? Pretty powerful. Jesus literally, literally died for our sins, and he literally came to invoke a new covenant relationship with us. You talk about uh, the symbolisms of, of uh, a covenant ceremony. Look at, um, look at an exchange of robes. This is really powerful. We know from Scripture in Hebrews chapter 2, 14, um, it reads this. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus literally took on our humanity and our flesh and an exchange of identities. There's a ton of other scriptures that points to stuff like this. We're just brazing, just kind of glancing across the surface of this, but I want to make these points so you can see the powerful symbolic nature of what God has done for us in scripture. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 21, this is the great one. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Literally an exchanging of identities. Jesus takes on our sin. We take on his righteousness. When people look at Jesus, they see the sin. When people look at us, they see the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus. Powerful, huh? Powerful, huh? This is amazing. You want to talk about um, an exchange of weapons and tools? Think about this through Scripture. This is powerful. You see God say, my strength is your strength. He, in Ephesians 6, he gives us the armor of God in exchanging of weaponry, the sword of the Spirit, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation. You see him say, I am your provider. I will protect you. I will provide for you. Perfect exchange. Covenant language all through the New Testament. You want to talk about a sacrifice? Jesus paid every part of it. He paid every part of it. Think about this. Jesus hanging on the cross. In Old Testament law, only a perfect, unblemished animal could be used for a sacrifice to cover sins. Jesus offered up his life as a sacrifice and stood 
over a pool of his own blood and represented the sacrificial lamb for our sin and a sacrificial offering for the covenant all at the same time, all within himself. The Bible says that there's one mediator, one go between, one representative between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. While he was dying for our sins, Jesus was representing us in a new covenant relationship with his Father. Where were we while all this was happening? The Bible says, just like Abraham, we were asleep too. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our sin, but because of his love for us, God made us alive again in Christ. So that the covenant that Jesus made, the covenant that God made with us through Jesus, wouldn't be dependent upon our ability to keep it. You can't be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You can't earn enough stuff to to put together a portfolio to say that I can trade this for my salvation. I can trade this for some kind of right standing with God. No, he set it up in such a way so that it wouldn't be dependent upon us to mess it up. He says, I'll represent you. I'll play all the parts. I'll make the sacrifice. I'll make the payment. I'll be the the one who stands in the gap. And I will covenant with myself on your behalf. So that your failure won't mess it up. So that you can stand in my strength and my power. And my ability to keep my promise. And I would rather cease to exist as a God. Than fail to keep my promise to you. Chew on that for a second. It's powerful. Covenant doesn't depend on our ability to keep it. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 talks about the power of grace. It says that grace, we've been saved through grace, through faith, and it's not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We never, we never earn it. You never earn it. So you say, what about the whole covenant mark thing, Josh? I don't carry any kind of scar around with me. Well, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, says, And you were also included in Christ, covenant language again, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. But we carry that mark of the covenant inside of us. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful? Think about the, re- the resurrected body of Jesus. Before he was crucified, Jesus was beaten by Roman soldiers. The Bible says that his beard was literally ripped out of his face. A crown of thorns shoved on his head. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails, which was absolutely brutal. They would start with your legs and work your way up to your shoulders, and these things that they would whip you with, carried bone and barb and glass and metal pieces in it so that it would grab the flesh and rip it off when they pulled it back. And it wasn't uncommon for there to be literally no skin from legs to the top of the shoulders for these people. And a lot of times, major organs would be exposed through the back. And a lot of people would die just from this alone. His body was absolutely destroyed. Crucified on the cross, brought down, The Bible says that he was unrecognizable as a man. He was beaten that bad. But when he was resurrected, 
his body was healed. He had that new resurrected glorified body. Walked around, people recognized who he was. Think about this. He still carries the holes in his feet, the holes in his side, and he still carries the nail holes in his hands. And I'll submit to you that even though God could have healed all of that too in the moment of the resurrection, just like the rest of his body, that he chose not to so that he could carry the mark of the covenant that he had made with us. So that when he's seated on his throne, interceding for us next to the Father, he can look down and be reminded of the covenant that he's made with us. Not just the sacrifice for our sins, but the covenant that he's made with his people that believe in him. It's a reminder for him, a reminder for Is that powerful or what? So you stop and you think, you ask the same questions that Abraham asked. God, how can I know? How can I know for sure that you will keep your promise to me? God already answered that question before you even asked it. He did it at the cross. He did it through the sacrifice of Jesus. And he did it through his covenant with you. And God would rather cease to exist. He would rather forfeit his eternal life than fail to commit his pro- or fail to complete his promise to you. That's just powerful. When that got in my spirit, it changed everything. Because not only does God love me, not only does he care about me, not only did Jesus die for my sins, but my God put himself in a covenant agreement. Basically, the same thing that we just talked about, that same ceremony, the same pledge, so that he is my provision, he is my protection. Those that I bless, he blesses. Those that curse, they get cursed. I walk, I walk with his robe of righteousness, identified with him, raised again in Christ Jesus. Raised again in Christ Jesus. The promise is sealed because of the covenant that he made with us, his people. I wonder what we would do for God if we knew that we could not fail. And we knew that he would always be there to keep his promise. I wonder how many people we would lead to the Lord personally if we knew. We knew that he was our protection and he was the one giving us the boldness. I wonder, how, I wonder what our giving would look like if we understood that he was our provider. And that we didn't have to, to, to even blink in doubt for a second when he says, I want you to do this. We can step out in obedience whether it's giving or whatever it is, into a new area of ministry, no hesitation at all because we know that God is going to keep his promise because he would rather fail to exist, to cease to exist, to hang up his entire, all his eternity, to give it up if he fails to keep his promise to us. He cared enough about us to limit himself to an agreement 
to reassure us that there is absolutely no way that he can fail on his promise to us. Praise God for what he did. Praise God, not just for what he did on the cross to pay for my sins. Praise God that he cared enough about me to go the extra step, to remove all the doubt that I would ever have before I ever had it, to answer all the questions that I would ever ask before I asked them. He cared that much about us to put himself on the line and say, how how can you know I'll keep my promise to you? Well, let me tell you about this covenant that I've made with you. Wow. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Ask the band to go ahead and make your way up here. God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I praise you for your presence that I feel in this place. God, I thank you for the promise of your covenant. You might be here this morning. This is the first time you've heard any of this stuff. And if I talk about God or I talk about Jesus, it's like a foreign language to you. But you may have felt something tugging on your heart this morning. And I believe that's God himself because he desires to have a relationship with you. If we take anything away from today, it's not that God is a God that sets a bunch of rules that we have to follow. God is a God who not only paid for our sins, but paved the way for us to walk in every promise in the Bible because this covenant isn't dependent upon our ability to keep it. He's already handled all of it and taken that responsibility on himself. All we have to do is grow in our relationship with Him and let, us, let Him change us from the inside out into who He's called us to be. To let go of the sin and to take on His identity. You might be here this morning and man, you be, Pastor Josh, I know all that's true. That man, I just got some junk in my life that I need to give up to God. And the beautiful thing about that is that I don't have to say anything else because you know that it's there. So I want, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to just get rid of that junk. You had a fresh start in your walk with God. And a fresh start in this covenant that He set up for you to be able to walk in because He loves you so much. If you're here this morning and you say, you know what, Pastor Josh, yeah, I got some junk in my life. I've got some sin in my life. And I know that if I died right now and I had to stand before God, I'd be in trouble because this stuff is dominating my life. And I don't want it there anymore. I want to choose God over this stuff. If you're here this morning and you want to have a relationship with God and you want forgiveness for that junk, when I count to three, I just want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. I'm not going to single you out or embarrass you or anything like that. This is just between you and God and I'll be a witness to the thing. We'll do this together. If you're here this morning and you know, man, I got some sin. I got some stuff. I need, I need, to, I need to put on the brakes and have a relationship with Jesus. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. One, two, three. Lift your eyes and look at me. I see yours. I see yours in the back. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, lift them up and look at me. I see yours in the back. I see yours over in the side there. Getting rid of this junk. Because God's got something so much better for us. If you haven't lifted your eyes yet, I want you to lift them up. and I see yours there. 
make sure everyone's had an opportunity. Okay, if you will, let's do this. Let's all stand to our feet. And if you physically can, let's all come up to the front area. Here at the church, we'll call this an altar area because this is where we give stuff up to God. And it's an awesome place. Um, But if you will, let's all come up to the front. I thought it would be awesome to close the message this morning with just a little bit of worship. Because I don't know about you, because when I talk about what God has done for me, doesn't that make you just want to jump up and praise Him a little bit? Doesn't that make you just want to give Him a little bit of thanks for the covenant relationship that He provided for us to live in and walk in with Him? Everybody that lifted up your eyes and you said, man, I got some junk to get out of my life. Let's pray right now and let's get rid of that junk. We're going to have just a couple of five minutes or so of worship. And then we're going to close out the service. Everybody repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I give all this junk to you. I don't want it. I want you. Show me what I need to do to put it down for good. Help me one step at a time to learn about you and have a relationship with you. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to enter into a covenant relationship with you. I just want to know you. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you so much for the freedom that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All across this place, if you will, just lift up your hands. Let's just begin to worship God. The God who died, who God who was our sacrifice, the God who stands as a covenant representative for us. Holy is the Lamb of God. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is
power of your word. God, I thank you for your presence that I feel in this place. Lord, it's our, my prayer that we all walk out of here this morning as people that are fully convinced and fully persuaded that you are the God that can keep your promise to us. And we don't have to doubt. We don't have to wonder. When we hit those moments where we ask those questions, God, how can I know for sure? Lord, remind us of your covenant that you made with us. You will not fail us. You will not forsake us. You will not turn your back on us, Lord. There is not one promise that you've made to us in your word that you will not keep. You are the God that keeps his word. You are the God that keeps his promise. And we don't have to hesitate. We can step out. Because you literally said you would rather cease to exist than not honor the covenant and the promises that you have made to us in your word. God, thank you so much for that promise and for that truth. Lord, I pray that we walk out of here changed a little bit. I pray that we walk out of here with a little more, a little more spiritual pep in our step with that understanding that our God has our back, that he is our banner, he is our provider, he is our protector. He will not let us down. He will not forsake us or turn his back on us because he has made that commitment to us. Not just paid for our sins, but paved the way. For us to never need another thing. God, thank you so much. That everything that we need is found in you. Well, let us walk out of here ready to change this world. We give you all the glory. We give you the honor. And we give you the praise, God, for who you are in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Give God praise if it blessed you this morning.